So anyway, I, I'm so sorry it took so long. I was picking up my Uber Eats, my Amazon order, my <laughs> HelloFresh delivery. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I know we're here to discuss like some like you know capitalism and 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 its lack of merit. But you know, actually, I just want to let you guys know that this was a fucking sting. I have let the American <laughs> authorities know they are coming for each of you and your anti-American liberal rhetoric. Ha <laughs> ha. I would be a hero. Maybe they'll finally kill me. You got it. The last person who tried to swap my house failed. That is a joke. No one's tried to swap my house. Audrey, I can't. Your delivery is just. It's a little little too deadpan for you. I have to be the funniest child. I have to be the funniest child in the house at all times for some reason. But anyway. Williams curse. But anyway, we're here to record a podcast. God damn it. I'm Brent. I'm joined by Dane. Hi, I'm Dane. Joined by Forrest. Hey, I'm Forrest. Adam. Yes, hello, I'm Adam. And returning a very special guest, Audrey. Hi, I'm Audrey. Good to have you back. So sorry that we brought you back to talk about the thing that we all dislike the most. That's fine. This is uh, finally my opportunity to reunite with my long-lost twin, Dane, as we discussed in the last episode. Yeah, I was thinking about how to make a similar comment. I'm glad you didn't make it weird. Like I probably would have. So. Fear not. Again, I am absolutely awesome at making things weird. I will make it weird. Don't worry about it. And this is why you're twins. Stamp <laughs> approved. We yeah. got it. All right. So capitalism, capitalism <laughs> is a thing that we all participate in. <laughs> so let's shit w- on it. Willingly or unwillingly at this point, right? I mean, yeah, like unwillingly, yeah. I mean, like, I have to level with you guys. I have the little recording screen open, and then I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tabs open that are just online shopping. Those yeah. are rookie numbers, man. You got to pump those numbers up. <laughs> yeah. If you're not if you're not selling your if you're not selling your data for free to Honey, I don't know what you're doing. I literally am, though. I love. Oh. I simultaneously love and despise most things that get me additional coupons because i know what they're doing with my information but at the same time if i can save twenty dollars uh, that's my next doordash delivery yeah oh, i think what oh, bugs boy. me the most about capitalism is the minor inconveniences not the people that it's lives that it destroys or the systems of oppression that it it supports and sustains but that my youtube ads are all about fasteners now because i i audibly speak about fasteners at work around my regular phone <laughs> oh no uh you don't like the data mining aspect of like that's the that's the thing that broke your back i, mean, was, I don't really yeah. care about about facebook mining my data like i don't care about any of that stuff because like i'm not doing anything you know nefarious right. uh, I officer i didn't question. do anything wrong <laughs> i have a question and this is kind of going to v- it's in that similar vein but veering slightly off course do you think that somewhere out there someone with a voyeurism kink has discovered that the government listening into whatever they're doing is something they're really into oh, so are they just oh, they just aroused no. the entire time i think so yeah mm. that sounds Wait, awful somebody in the government is or just the thought of it like somebody out there just the really person who likes being watched yeah Oh, I'm sure that exists. I mean, the internet's right in front of you. You can find that out in a second, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to open up that box. That's um, why I asked. I wanted to make sure that there wasn't any lived experience before I <laughs> scarred myself permanently with Googling. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think if a kink exists, somebody has it. So the answer I, is yes. Yeah, yeah, I've learned. I've learned that. <laughs> you can go to any pornography website. You can click on categories, 
and you won't even get through B before your mouse wheel breaks. I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of stuff out there now. Control just... Shift N. Pornhub.com. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so do you do you have? So well, Brent uh, does some research. Categories. Yeah. It's it's academic. It's academic. All I right, promise. I'm I'm ready to throw these categories in randomly. Go ahead. Oh my god. Ah! Oh my gosh. I hope well, you get I was some good juicy ones. Like. The data mining stuff, your phone listening to you and then showing you, like, I don't know, the same shit that you're talking about. I've read some convincing arguments that it's not really that your phone is listening to you, but your collective actions on the internet are so not unique that the combination of them can, like, identify you to the point where it doesn't even have to listen to you to figure out what kinds of things you're interested in and what kinds of things you're going to next. And I don't know if that's worse or better. Like I almost rather my phone was just literally listening to the words I was saying. Uh, yeah, <laughs> instead of being so. able to predict out that far. Like I don't want to be a Markov chain. I don't I, I hear what you're saying, but at the same time I would I don't know. I don't think I do that much on the internet for them to build enough information to then me turn around and be like, you know, I'm, I had this conversation with a coworker where I was like, you know what I think is a bad result of COVID is uh, distance learning. I think classroom learning is superior and I don't like seeing anything about how great distance learning is and it's the way of the future and it's going to get rid of it, of traditional learning. Turn around, go to YouTube, click one of my you know various subscriptions. First ad is about distance learning and how great it is. Okay, fair huh. enough. Like, I think it's I, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, which is that your activity on the internet definitely leads into a certain amount of algorithm refining to tell oh, you I'm what sure. you like. But I also definitely think that there is some probably massively shady listening going on. I'm going to do the first category. Oh, uh, no. I'm oh, actually going to give you the number to is this, the right. is, is this how you're going to replace the questions? Uh, yeah. I'm not, we're not going to discuss it. We're just, I'm just going to say it and you're gonna keep talking. I'm also going to give you the numbers, which I'm assuming is the number of videos. First category is uh, they have like a alphabetical category. They also have like these these higher level specified categories. The first one is popular with women, 161. Anyway, no, I think I think uh, I think we, have, we let's talk let's talk about education briefly because like there are two school like Pink Floyd's The Wall is this deeply personal you know, self-study about his trauma and all sort of stuff. But, he, you know, he expresses frustration with the education system because, like, what is the the onus to have a education system? You know, there are two schools of thought. There's, like, a philosophical one where it's, like, you go through these basics, you go through this this learning exercise to elevate everyone, to provide better, you know, a better understanding of the, you know, the world, the universe around you. And the other is like a capitalist one, you know, to bring the the workforce labor up to a certain standard to better the economy and the marketplace. As a lot of you have, or at least some of you have like a, a deep relationship with the education system. How, what is it? How does it feel? You know, what does it feel like, you know, interacting with something that I assume you you engage with on a philosophical level while knowing that there is a capitalist you know through through line there i want to start with adam on this oh boy okay so i think you actually missed a third school which is the militaristic though those often go with capitalist oh thank is you that is preparing, exactly what i was gonna say yeah preparing bodies for the military 
you know, gym class being the quintessential example. But to answer your question about my relationship with it, well, unfortunately, I got to have a rude awakening since my education, at least the higher portion of it, was through the 2008 crisis to 2016. So a solid like 10 years, more or less, eight years. And through that time, I got to watch the commodification of higher education in high gear. So throughout my experience as a undergrad and into a graduate's program, like I was basically what I wanted to do was teach at the collegiate level. That was my goal. It had been my goal since I was like a sophomore in high school and I wanted to teach history. But little did I know when I first started that program that history doesn't sell iPhones and asks questions of positions of power and so would be steadily defunded throughout my entire educational program till the point today where I cannot get a job in my field if I try. Like it's so bad that like there's a current fight going on at my alma mater at the University of Kansas where they the graduate students in the humanities are being threatened with removal of all funding while the they continue to raise the wages or I guess salaries of the provost president and continue increasing funding for athletics. It's just bizarre because they already paid their graduate students below a living wage at $13,000 a year. That was what they paid us. Oh my God. And somehow that was, that's too much. We can't afford that, but we can give a raise to the president. And so that was my rude awakening with capitalism. That was my radicalization experience. Anybody else have any higher education related, like, or even education? It doesn't have to be grad school. Yeah. I was Dane. homeschooled, so I can speak to like a different thing. But if Dane wants to go. No, oh, oh, I can wait. So like homeschooling, I was homeschooled from third grade on. And so I have a, a very different experience with education, which the which is that primarily it was used for indoctrination purposes and not necessarily for any of the like three other purposes. But that's because, again, I was homeschooled. It's kind of an uncommon case. But broadly, the sort of uh, feeling was is I was homeschooled in a very like aggressively evangelical environment, whether that be, you know, Southern Baptist or Catholic. And the vibe was strongly that they are raising an army of soldiers for God, which is about as bad as it sounds. But a lot of the laws in Texas enable that in that homeschoolers don't have to take any sort of standardized testing, which means that they don't have to interact with any sort of mandatory reporters, which means that basically kids can just fall off the grid. And as much as it benefited me, if you are in the state of Texas, your high school diploma does not have to be endorsed by the state board of education. So my diploma was printed out of our home printer and signed with Sharpie by my mom. Whoa. And so like what you have is like a ton of kids who are not adequately educated because they have insanely minimal standards to meet. And it's super easy to fake because there's no meaningful way to test them because they are not part of a group that requires mandatory like testing, like the tax test or the star test. We don't even have to take the SAT or the like the ACT. And so you just get what is like a very... You get very like rubber evan- stamped. Yeah. yeah. It's a very evangelical 
experience. And this is like Texas homeschoolers. I can't speak for other places, but I know that it is very similar in that the broad understanding is that the reason you're being homeschooled is that public schools are teaching you the devil's work and that like, you know, you'll be better in your parents' hands and they don't want you to stray from God and, you know, you have to obey them. It's just a lot of like very culty Old Testament biblical shit with the expectation that, you know, once you learn all of this stuff, you will fully buy into it and then you will go on and do the same for your kids and raise an army for God. That's the that's the end goal. I can talk about like Texas homeschooling for ages. It's something I'm very passionate about because like it deeply affected my life and I saw how it deeply affected a lot of my friends' lives. But it's such like an isolating thing to have something that by all accounts you're supposed to not enjoy but take as like a social experience like school and have it turn into like a deeply like aggressively proselytizing one where the only people you talk to are adults who often just want you to mimic talking points and other kids who are either equally as traumatized or fully buying into it. And so it's like homeschooling education is like a whole other facet of like culty fascist capitalism. And frankly, I could spend a whole episode talking about it, but I will, (laughs) I will leave it there. Well, at least you managed to tie it back to our big villain at the end. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. But man, that's some like serious stuff. I mean, I've dealt with the homeschooling system, at least in part, but that was in Kansas. And it is more prevalent than you think in the Midwest, just because of the fact that the states have more spread out populations and fewer resources. So that homeschooling actually becomes sort of the norm in most of the state in terms of square mileage. So I don't know if the Kansas homeschool program, it was the same, but like I did interact with trying to help them get access to programs that more urban areas of Kansas could. Yeah. So be an interesting thing to find out. There's like a whole organization. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically about parents' rights, which is a front for we want to ensure that children don't have rights. Huh. So basically, the bulk of what they work towards is like, they want children to be fully under the control of their parents. They want their parents to be able to do whatever the hell they want. And what this leads to is like in places where that where legislation that they've pushed has been adopted, you just get a bunch of kids born off the grid. Nobody knows that they exist. They're homeschooled their entire lives. There's no record of them. They don't have social security numbers. If they leave that community, if they try to leave the community that raised them and birthed them as people who were supposed to be living off the grid and be soldiers for Jesus or whatever, they don't have anything. They don't have any means to do so. They don't have birth certificates. They don't have social security numbers. And so it's it's an intensely isolating and like terrifying like cult tactic that you've seen like pop up in homeschooling communities like in the last 10 years or so, probably a bit longer, but that's how long I've known about it at least fascinating yeah that's super interesting and what to pick up on something you were saying before you know i don't my impression i I don't like really know that whole much about it but my impression of standardized testing is that it's not exactly a force for good totally (laughs) right but you kind of bring up the idea that at least it brings in some sort of like standard of learning right or sort of standard of like curriculum even if it benefits certain people more than others. Yeah, definitely. And also it puts 
kids into contact with mandatory reporters for child abuse, like teachers and nurses and stuff like that. Whereas like when homeschoolers don't have to do any of that, they don't ever have to talk to a mandatory reporter. If their parents never take them to a doctor, there's no way for them to report on any of that. Oh, wow. Uh, it is oof. a deep hole. I could talk about it forever. And yeah. it like, it, it definitely has like that very culty capitalist, like late capitalist Jesus cult thing going on. Well, I mean, it kind of sounds like it's it's an easy connection to make between the, well, let's not say all of the church, but it's certainly the mega churches and the, the gospel of prosperity that has sprung up, which is very, very problematic. And it sounds like those could be a direct line connection to what you're describing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I think it's, it I, I think sounds it, like it. It sounds more like a late stage thing than anything because, like, I'm it kind of reminds me of like the kind of near the end of Rome, there was a bunch of like crazy religious cults that popped out. I think it's just how people struggle with not knowing where they are, and that is that there is it's certainly a disconnecting effect of, of capitalism yeah. where you're, you're where you we live in a system where you are intrinsically connected to the value you can produce. So if you feel like you're not being productive, it, it can be very alienating. And you kind of get these people looking for search purpose and such, and, and they form these instant communities. But I, it's certainly a symptom of, of our capitalism, to be sure, here in America. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I haven't really heard of it happening anywhere else. And to be fair, I'm not super clued into international homeschooling laws. I just know a lot about <laughs> right. American homeschooling laws for the obvious reasons. But yeah, it seems definitely very symptomatic of like a late capitalist, super evangelical American culture. Well, not only that, but like religious fervor, as Dane is pointing out, is also tied to civilization and decline as decadence, wealth gap, because this happened in Rome as well, with the wealth gap between the very poor and the slaves becoming so ridiculously one-sided that the, the, the civilization just started looking for any way to explain what was happening to it because it had been so powerful and influential for so long it didn't know what to do with itself and so you explain that all away by saying oh you know we're being punished by god you haven't you haven't risen enough soldiers for for god's purpose you know because if we had more bodies if we had more people then we'd be better off yeah we wouldn't have sinned as badly or all flip side, uh, we need to raise more soldiers for the coming end so that the thing that comes out on the other side is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's definitely that's that's like the the somehow the darker side of all of it is like <laughs> if this, as if it could like, get worse. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, as if it could, you know, sound any worse is like we are raising an army for God in the metaphorical sense in that we want, you know, spiritual soldiers for God, but we also want, you know, physical soldiers for God and like there are some very culty, let's say micro groups that I have been a part of where the expectation is like, there will be a day where God will call you to die for him and you have to be ready for that. And like as a 13 year old, you're like, whoa. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds familiar. I mean, if we want to compare it to anything, it look no further than the radical Muslim groups recruiting throughout, you know, Syria. Yeah. That was my very grim observations. About it's very grim. My but, bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's very valuable. It's, I mean, it's horrible, but it's also per- perfect for this discussion. I think. You know it who can, you know who consistently ranks as some of the best education system in the world? Socialist nations. Well, 
Well, yes, Cuba has one of the highest literacy rates, but Finland actually has one of, is, is considered highest, and they have banned all private and homeschooling. All schools in Finland are completely public. And I'm sure because they get the majority of funding, right? Well, yeah, the idea is that when you force rich kids to have to go to school with the poor kids, the rich parents start to want to fund education more. Oh, go yeah. figure. And it's Funny somehow, uh, yeah, separate but equal is somehow unequal. This time referring to wealth instead of race. Yeah, I feel like that's feel kind like... of doable in, in American society right now. Well, well, that's actually part of why that's that's the myth of capitalism keeping yeah. you down, Yeah, you know Audrey. what? That is, that is the myth of capitalism keeping me it's down. It's absolutely, absolutely right. possible. <laughs> it's such a, like an indoctrinating force that sometimes you're like saying shit that's fully like under the realm of this is capitalist propaganda and you don't even realize it until like six months later. And you're like, wait a second. Yeah, what? I've been tricked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they got me. Goddamn well, landlords. Also, it's, it's difficult to escape something that is around you i mean you know even if it's even if it's something very small i mean you can't not live in a in the society that you live in holy <laughs> uh, shit you, you telling me we move. live in a society yeah i know yeah except when wait, i say wait, it it's, did it's, i miss that part yeah when i say it it's more like uh george costanza screaming in a chinese Don't restaurant. Live- yeah i got you but um gosh well what do you think do you think there is do you think there's like an iterative approach to fixing this or is this like a tear everything down? Well, that depends I on think who you d- ask. I don't think you have to choose either or. I mean, as someone who's involved in local politics, trying mm-hmm. to make a difference locally, I I wish Steve was here for this. But, you know, if tomorrow shit hits the fan and, you know, I'll be there. I'll be ready to go. I think it's I think it's a mixture of both. I don't think you could measurably tear down everything without causing a lot of casualties for people who are trying to do good. Right. But I mean, like if you're talking about like active, like actual proactive change, most of the liberals and leftists more or less agree that certain fundamental aspects of our constitutional democracy here are kind of broken and more or less have to be torn up and rethought. The best examples of this being the courts and the federal senate they're they're yeah. very lopsided you can renovate all the floors you want but the foundation is completely no good Ex- exactly yeah. and that's some people would argue like particularly the legal system the way the courts work the way the policing system is set up is strictly like you can sum up the police and the legal system in a few sentences cops exist to protect the wealth of white people they exist to keep people of color in line functionally yes and that's the whole legal system backs that up. Yeah, with the with the expectation that everyone is just not paying close enough attention to realize that that's what is happening. And they're not because, I mean, if they were, we wouldn't have as many support the police and back the blue signs springing up at the result of a, mur- of a blatant heinous murder. Yeah, I don't like... I don't like to talk a lot of shit about Texas because I feel like a lot of people do. And I do honestly love living here. Like it is, it is my favorite place to be, but yeah. Sorry, sorry to butt in, but Texas is your problematic fave. Texas is my problematic (laughs) fave. And you know what? It's just because it's been so heftily gerrymandered that it is, you'd have to redraw the whole state to fix it. Well, another example of something that might merit tearing down. Yeah. But like it is, like pro police culture is very much endemic to where we live. Me and Brent, at least, to the point where it's like I, I've, 
I, I have the most low stakes show of support that I possibly can on my on my car, which is just a tiny little Black Lives Matter sticker. And like, I've been followed for it, followed by, and threatened for it. By private citizens or by the police? By or private both. citizens who are pro-police. And so and it's, they, it's... They somehow see them as antithetical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're fundamentally opposed, which to be fair, I mean... They are, but they're taking the wrong message from it. And so it's like pro-cop rhetoric is so fucking popular around. Oh, shit. I'm allowed to swear. It's fine. You're allowed. Yeah. (laughs) But like pro-cop culture is like so endemic to the area that it's like I, I feel like intrinsically nervous whenever I think about bringing like my siblings or like people of color over to my house my siblings i only say that i am a white person but my siblings are adopted and they are black ah yeah and so i get that little like tingle up my spine whenever like a person of color comes over or like we're going somewhere or they're going without me or they're driving like to i don't know beaumont and and it's like you know that's dangerous i actually want to just i want to congratulate the fact that we made it all the way to like 30 minutes in or so before we had our first <laughs> fuck capitalism. Like, congratulations, Audrey. You, you managed to keep it in check all the way up until that point. It is, it's, it's fuck capitalism for life. Let's be clear. It's fuck capitalism oh, yeah, for life. But there are a lot of other like aspects of like capitalism is like the big bad guy that you pay attention to. But there are a lot of other like insidious ugly parts of it that are smaller that deserve probably more attention yeah and in fact i like one of the things that i struggle with the most is just my everyday working life the the 40 hour work week in a location where on average i do about two to three hours of work this is something that's very typical and i literally i have a coworker who does not think or care about these things at the level we're currently discussing them but she often will turn to me and just go like what are we doing here this is what i could be doing so many other things yeah i as somebody who has a similar setup working 40 hours a week i work from home but it's still like you know the amount of money that i'm being paid per hour to fuck off is outrageous but the expectation is that you know you're always there. You're always doing something. And if you aren't doing something, someone will provide you with something to do because God forbid you take 10 minutes to step away and eat lunch and not look productive. And I think that that's like what, what bothers me the most is that at, at the end of the day, it's not about actual productivity. It is about perceived productivity. Right. And the, oh man, and we actually live in not the worst of that, right? Because like, we're not Amazon warehouse workers who are being timed and can't go to pee or lose their jobs, right? It's, it gets even more horrifying, but it works on lots of levels. It's not just the hourly worker or the warehouse worker or whoever. It also works with the fact that like the cell phone and email have effectively destroyed the 40 hour work week for executives and managers, right? Yeah. Because they, they can never get away. They're expected to be able to answer or a phone or an email at any hour of the day. But, and that's, but they but they have internalized it and turned it into like a badge of honor. And I mean, just yeah. in my own workplace, it's very toxic. I mean, yeah, it's. I, I'm hoping our generation can change the culture because I mean that's that's really where it's got to start. I think. 
And I think it definitely trickles down to where like it's not just managers and executives because the expectation for me, and again, this is purely anecdotal, but the expectation for me, and I am not a manager, I'm not an executive, and my team who are not managers and not executives also have to constantly be available. Even if it's after hours, the expectation is that like if an emergency comes up, you're going to handle it. You are on call on weekends. You are you are functionally constantly having to be appearing productive and at work you're never not out of the mindset of being at work yeah i think a lot of that is also working from home culture where it's so crazy difficult already to establish any sort of like meaningful work-life balance and even Mm. worse now in the pandemic where everyone is doing it and like your days just kind of blur together and everything is via zoom so like talking to your friends doesn't necessarily feel different than talking to your coworkers, except maybe you can use like a curse or two. <laughs> right. And then all of the solutions are like, make another corner of your house with a different desk. Yeah. Right. That's not doable for most people. Well, yeah. Forrest, what's been your experience with that? I mean, like well, I assume you've been working from home too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working from home. I, 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 to get back to what you're saying about like doing like three or so productive hours of work in a day. I mean, you're already kind of getting to this with the Amazon stuff. Um, and by the way, like, I, obviously people voted on it and I want to respect what they voted on, but like, I am not very happy about the result of the, um, like the Bessemer vote. vote. Yeah. 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 That was the one but, in Alabama, right? Yeah. That's yeah. yeah Bessemer, Alabama. <clears throat> there were a lot of people who voted no on that because Amazon literally sent them texts threatening to revoke their health care. Right. Right. Like, it's a clear case of union busting, which is illegal, technically, unless you follow these rules, which Amazon, I am on. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Let's be honest. Partially is that, and I'm not saying that necessarily, like you maybe have your own stances on this, but I imagine that we all, at least at one point, have ordered a bunch of stuff from Amazon. And some of this is us trying to like launder our own guilt for that, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, we're all complicit in their suffering. Like we, I know I've ordered many hundreds of dollars of products off of Amazon, and now I have to live with the fact that I'm like some nice person somewhere has to pee at a bottle. You know, like mm-hmm. I can't. Like it's hard to rectify that in my head. Simultaneously, I think it's almost impossible to find a replacement for Amazon in a lot of right. ways. So, like as a person, there are lots of things that I can do. I can buy from independent bookstores. Like I can, I can. I don't know, buy clothes somewhere else. I haven't bought a lot of stuff on Amazon, but there's like small business owners who have to buy their supplies on Amazon because they don't have access to, you know, merchandising or or manufacturers. And it's way more prohibitively expensive that way than it is on Amazon. And so they've created such a monopoly that it's like you constantly have to make excuses for the reason you use Amazon, even though Amazon is the one who created the monopoly in the first place. There, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. That's Absolutely. this is true. No matter what, no matter what it is, but food, clothing, whatever. I just want to piggyback off the healthcare thing real fast. It's demonstrably true that if you were to have universal healthcare, it would actually be cheaper for businesses. Yeah, because cause you're divorcing to, the costs. Yes, but they don't support universal healthcare because it's leverage. They right, know exactly. that oh. healthcare through employment keeps you in the workplace. So even if it costs them a little extra each month, they have the security of knowing, well, I don't have to pay them as much because it's not like they're going to quit to find work somewhere else. It's Capitalism is so goddamn insidious. You have like those trolls that you went to high school with that like are, they think they support capitalism and they think it's like, oh, just like, you know, 
costs and profits and all that, but like they don't understand like you can present this information to them and like they their brain like blue screens. They can't process it. Like, no, no, like if it would save the money, they would do it. There's gotta be some other reason. It's like no this is the reason. It's like no yeah. no. The reason is that it's just it's just evil. And a lot of times evil doesn't necessarily have a purpose. A lot of times evil can just be evil. Well, I mean that's moralistic and I'm not sure. But I will say it is about power. And it mm. is about authority and the unwillingness to surrender said power and authority, which are things that pretty much everyone craves is a little bit of control over themselves and others. And so this is it brought amok and created feeding back on itself, creating an entire system, government and even world structure to keep these systems of power in place. But America, but but the U.S. is pretty particularly, uh, I feel like, bad at this in certain ways, uh, right? I mean, like for example, with the healthcare situation, government is supposed to fill in to some extent. Purpose of government is to provide services that are not profitable for companies to provide, or would create false incentives for society, right? So that's why, like, healthcare should they're, ideally... they're, they're they're there to take care of us when companies can't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dean. I think I cut you off. No, it was Brent. <laughs> it's also Brent. why it's also why the United States Postal Service is such an important institution. Like people keep talking about running it like a business, but running it like a business would mean that not every citizen has access to the post because mm-hmm. there are too many places where it is not profitable to service those areas, right? Right. So, Particularly they, rural yeah. communities. Particularly rural communities, particularly like rural communities that maybe vote conservative. But also, I, w- I wanted to, to touch base on a point we made earlier before we move too far on this idea that, you know, by not supporting Amazon or by supporting Amazon, we are complicit in a particular type of behavior. I want to communicate that the depth of insidiousness for capitalism and I'm sure we all know this, doesn't end or start with not supporting Amazon. Like even if you were to buy, you know, quote unquote local, they get their materials. And who are the people that are suffering to get those materials and where? Yeah. There's no, something that I, that I rally against hard is that there's no, there's no, there's no real form of moral or sustainable capitalism, which is like a big market that has come up in like, consumer products is like oh our 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 water bottles are 80 percent recycled or like our our coffee is fair trade right like all of that stuff is glitz like and glamour basically yeah yeah and none, of it's, it. and none of it's real right like no, uh, like something that or dane and i sometimes butt heads is that i don't perceive a, uh, an america that does not participate aggressively in capitalism you know, a lot of us benefit and participate in these systems that we've grown accustomed to and switching away from them in like outside of situations that are like real common sense, like universal health care is not a super leftist idea. It's kind of a it should be like a base, the base level. Right. We as a country skew very right, even in our quote unquote liberal party compared to the rest of the world. But if you were to ask the American citizen left, middle, right. If you were to ask them to sacrifice the privileges that they have to make a more equitable society, they would not because they've either been indoctrinated by the hyper wealthy or the power structures into believing that the American dream is like a real thing and that there's always a path for them out of poverty. I think also, moreover, 
in our dwindling middle class and and burgeoning upper middle now slash rich class of peoples. A lot of this stuff takes away Amazon or food delivery. A lot of this stuff is not sustainable in an equitable society because they are provided with the with the assumption of cheap labor that is somewhat like the function of capitalism allows people to have access to things at a quote unquote reasonable price at the expense of other people. And the idea that the country would sacrifice what privileges they perceive they have, to me, seems like a pipe dream. I'm willing to take uh, why I'm the dumbest person on the planet responses now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're the dumbest person on the planet. I think it's cynical, but not dumb. I think it's par for the course for American socialization. Does that make sense? Like the way that we are socialized to visualize things as Americans or that it is is everything or it is nothing. It's a zero-sum game always. And either you are fine with the way that it is or you have to completely tear it down. And I think that that's that's not always... Right. It's there there are o- there are only two parties. There have to it's either our team or their team. Yeah. And we there's no in between. And there's no like meaningful there's no meaningful way to explain to people in a lot of cases that doesn't have to be that way. And I don't think that Brenton is necessarily wrong. I think that a lot of the points he made are really salient and a lot of the things he said are pretty true. But I do also think it is a little bit cynical. Well, I mean, not only that, but the fact that we are in late stage capitalism, where it it now has no choice but to feed on the powers and the structures it created to support those powers. That's all it has left to feed on. What does it do then when it finally falls? What comes after? There has to be some reimagining. We can't then start over. The damages are too great. So maybe there won't be the America we have now. Like God, maybe, I hope not. Well, yeah. I think I think that what hap- like what we should strive for is a better balance between the two. You know, like walking back, like walking away from late stage capitalism. I think. But it's, how do you do that? I mean, I think first. I mean, like, FDR did it. Not to interrupt you, Brent. I'm sorry, but I, just, I mean, like, the, what's going to happen is there's probably going to be people going to push further and further. And we're either going to become a far-right fascist state, all of the Nazis, or there's going to be another FDR that's going to come in, reform the system, and stave off uh, the collapse of capitalism for two two generations or so. You know, I mean, it's the cycle will probably continue. I think the problem is that capitalism reacted to FDR. I mean, FDR was the most powerful individual president we have ever had. And yeah. we have not had a president express that much power since then. Not even Trump, who not in a meaningful like, way. No. Yeah, because there were limit, there were legal limitations applied to that branch of government to prevent it. Yeah, almost immediately, capitalism responded by passing that. I forget which amendment it is to limit the terms. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I, I feel like it'll always respond in kind to something that tries to tear it down. Yeah, I mean, capitalism is an Ouroboros, right? It is a snake eating its own tail. And but, but No, I was just going to say that, but FDR did not destroy capitalism. He, he saved capitalism from itself. Yeah, but they don't accept that. Yeah, capitalism doesn't want that. All it saw it's was... It's got a death wish. Yeah, it all really does. It is a, it's a snake eating its own tail. All it saw was someone was trying to pull the tail out of its mouth. And capitalism is not a person. It's not a, it is not a being. This collective... It is the collective energy and will people who would who would rather be rich at the expense 
of other people to a gross disparity at all costs versus slightly less rich. It is fed upon the evil, the inherent evils of the human existence. It doesn't care about long-term benefits. We all know Reaganomics, long-term. I I won't say out loud what I want to do to Ronald Reagan because I think that it (laughs) might get this podcast taken off the air. Yeah, fuck that guy. So like Reaganomics had had long-term devastating effects to our economy, to the ways that the lower classes could make a living for themselves because it's this weird concept of like intuitive intelligence that is applied from the right and the conservative and the and, and capitalism were things that make sense short term or make sense in like bad faith logical strains are the paths that we should take and any attempt to highlight long term effects or historical effects are dis- disregarded so right. fdr was able to with heavy socialist programs, for America at least, was able to save us from ourselves. And capitalism in the short term, which was the manifest energy of those people alive then, saw their profits or their ability to be profitable diminish. And they responded in kind so that there would never be another FDR again. Right. And to problematize the FDR or fascism argument is even if another FDR arose, it wouldn't it wouldn't be enough because late stage capitalism is running up against the climate crisis. This isn't a situation where we can kick the can down the road. Late stage capitalism isn't just feeding on its own tail at this point. It's eating everyone else's tail at the same time. Yeah. I think it's so, and this is a slightly different topic. I think it's very interesting how capitalism is personified instead of being like a concept, a lot of people talk about it like it's a person, like it's a, a thing, like some sort of meaningful physical thing that you can distance yourself from or or make a, a judgment about. And you certainly can, but it's not a person. And I think that's a weird level of indoctrination where you don't realize you're doing it. That's why I think it's like we what like I was saying, I was saying like we can't apply, you can't discourage or reason with capitalism since it doesn't exist. It is literal manifest of all of the worst traits of our sentience of our existence. And I back to like back to me being a, a cynical piece of shit, like it I am under the impression that because capitalism uh because capitalism I think what you're trying to say, and you can always correct me if I'm wrong, is Capitalism isn't a direct force. It is a zeitgeist. It is it is us. It is greed run rampant. And it's just something that we can't really control because there's so much buy-in going on from everyone else around it that it is something we can't really fully... It's almost, you know what? I know I make fun of it a lot. I'm going to use a Star Wars metaphor. It's the force. It penetrates <laughs> us. It binds us. It brings us all together. Oh, it definitely penetrates, that's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, but it also binds us together. You know, like we're stuck in it. How do we get out? It's been qu- said many times, basically, like capitalism is so like, it's easier to imagine the apocalypse and all that than it is to imagine a world without capitalism. You're right. Like, that's yeah. how insidious it is. And that's how people take, people like just think like, how, like I've had this conversation with my dad plenty of times before, where it's like, they have this idea that like capitalism is just like, a market-based economy and it's like never has been (laughs) it's like no dad markets exist have existed before and they'll probably exist after capitalism like that's not what capitalism is it's just 
Capitalism is a very good PR team. It is. Oh my God. It's had a cent- centuries of effort. I mean, let's just, let's be frank. Capitalism as it exists in its most basic form has existed since the medieval period, which is the simple idea of taking profit that you've made from your endeavor and reinvesting it in the systems that generated that profit. That is what it's supposed to be. And it's not on the surface a bad thing. What it has become is not exactly that. And it is not a market economy. Markets exist when you and your friends decide, you know, like, hey, you've got some staples. I've got these paper clips. Want to trade? That's a market. Yeah. And now the concept of, you know, what a market is so far beyond what its original purpose was that now if I ask somebody on the street, like, what's the market like? I don't even want to know what they'd answer, frankly, because it would be some fucking stock bullshit. Yeah, it's going to be stocks. It's always stocks. Oh, which is a whole other a whole other problem that I personally have with capitalism, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I can't do math. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was homeschooled, <laughs> so it all ties together, you know? Well, don't worry. The people in the stock market can't do math either. And to be <laughs> frank, the stock, mar- the stock market is, is just rich people casino land who play with all of our fates instead of just money. Yep. Love that for us. I just, I wanted to share a quote that I've, I've always enjoyed. I'm not sure if Sam Cedar was the one who said it, but he basically talks about this analogy where capitalism is like a fire and it's really good to keep you warm and, you know, you can cook, cook food on it, but every now and then the fire like just expands, burns everything down, like will burn you and all that. And it's also like fire in that, as long as they're like, it's like a single smoldering ember, it'll always grow back. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Michael Brooks, you know, rest in peace. He made the comment of like, it's just not worth it having the fire. Just get rid of it. And like, let's find something else. Like, it's just not worth it. We'll cook on ice. Yeah. yeah. Well, or, or, you know, this rock that radiates or something like that. Who knows? Or with uh, fruits and their citric acids. Yeah, there you go. I just, I've always liked that analogy of people are naturally afraid of the dark and the unknown and. The capitalism is the fire that keeps them warm. And there, there could be something, you know, just outside of sight, but they don't want to leave the fire. You know? Definitely. And I think that that is, I feel like capitalism strips you of so much imagination for what oh, no, that's could, its goal. Be, could be different. And I know like, yeah, like that's the goal. Like that's what they want to do. They want to make you think that there's no life outside of it because otherwise you consider other things that, you know, maybe benefit yourself rather than a monopoly but like it it is so it's not demoralizing anymore but it is definitely disheartening to see people so far in that indoctrination that it's like they can't imagine a world without it and the and the worst part to me is like how how very effective again dane you said it best they have a great pr engine but like one of the worst manifestations of this late stage capitalism indoctrination is the gig economy. The solution isn't you don't deserve better wages so you can have free time. It's you need to work three jobs and on, when you have a spare minute to eat, drive an Uber. Like yeah. it's just ridiculous. It's like a, the commodification of free time, basically, yeah. where nothing you yeah. do can. It, I mean, it goes back to like perceived productivity, right? Exactly. Exactly. You, you have to constantly be doing something, even if that something is making you less money, or you know, you're not being 
as productive as you could be because you're, you know, strung out exhausted. and exhausted. Yeah, right. And that, but that's why they get above you, like because you're not putting the work in, man. Like, Absolutely. that's how yeah. it all comes down yeah. to. It's just, oh my god, I'm so, I'm so lazy, you know. Yeah, there is that side, but let's also acknowledge the fact that because capitalism has done such a good job of keeping wages down for forty years or so, for some people, that is the only way they survive. There is a segment of the population that depends on that. Yeah, absolutely. Having been one of those people and having my fiance be one of those people now, (sighs) I can tell you firsthand, it fucking sucks. Apologies on behalf of we the people. (laughs) I had to do it for almost a year and it was the most demoralizing work I've ever done. And that includes the customer service retail aspect. But all the ads I get on YouTube all the time are how great it is. You get to set your own hours. It's fantastic. Uh, Yeah, except you don't get to set your own hours because if you set your own hours and those aren't the productive hours where people are actually ordering, then you're not going to get paid. And these companies don't offer any sort of mandatory minimum wage, which is why they fight so hard to keep people as contractors rather than employees. And so it's like if you decide that you're going to go from like – nine in the morning until like one in the afternoon, that is the worst shift you could possibly pick. But if you go at peak times, like, I don't know, like two to six, you're going to make so much more money. So you don't get to choose your own hours. You just get to choose how much you make in a day, depending on when you're free or when you're willing to get in your car and sit in it for four hours. And it's really hard on your body. It is like excruciating. As someone who already has a fucked up back, like it was awful and my fiance has like a perfectly normal back the absolute bastard (laughs) and it like it it has like fucked up his back because you're not meant to sit that long in in that position day after day after day right and they don't provide health care costs. Oh, no. Or insurance. No, no, no. You can, uh, the, the gag is, is that they do provide, at least I can speak for Uber Eats. Uber Eats provides health care, but only if you meet a mandatory minimum of deliveries uh. every month. You can only meet that mandatory minimum if you are basically working full time and above, which so, like. What? Eh. At which point they should be subject to minimum wage laws. <laughs> Precisely. But. Not that know. those are great. They're not, but it would be like a step up because, you know, like, for instance, you get an estimated amount that you're going to make and they give you the distance that you're going to have to drive and they'll give you absolute bullshit. Like, oh, if you drive six miles, we'll give you three dollars for that. Absolutely not. Like, that is an insane waste of my time. The, The gig economy is such an insidious thing. And then to have... I acknowledge fully that there are two sides to it because I I also know as a person who is is chronically ill that a lot of times without food delivery services, I would not be able to eat. Right. And it's not that these services aren't good. It's just that they should be paid. Yeah, but they They should should be better. they, They should be the people who work them should not be subject to continuous, I don't know, wage fears and food scarcities and of their own like it's not right yeah if it's a if it's a vital service it should be paid what it's deserving yeah and i like i saw this video on instagram the other day where this girl was getting her comments blown up because she said she shouldn't have to tip doordash or like uber eats drivers more just because uber won't pay them like she will 
but she shouldn't have to. And people were blowing her up saying, you know, like, that's not fair. You're being shitty to the Uber drivers. And it's like, as an Uber driver, like, I fucking agree with her. Yeah, no, they should just be paid more. <laughs> like, she didn't say that she wasn't going to tip, like, in the absence of a minimum wage. She just said that, like, you know. Uber should pay. Yeah, Uber should pay for it. Like, people who need the service shouldn't have to cover the minimum wage of those employees. Right. The gay economy apps were created by very smart people who looked at our current rules in the book and then found loopholes and ways around it to maximize profits. It's not like some schmuck just had the brilliant idea one day of like, oh, we'll have like this app where people deliver food. It was built upon these 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 loopholes of like, well, technically they're just contract workers and technically we don't have to give them these benefits. And right. it's, it's the same sort of loopholes with like salary pay, like Capitalism is always just putting in these little ways to just nickel and dime you. And they nickel dime millions of people, and that's how they get it. You know, they'll they'll nickel and dime you until you die, basically. Well, well, quite literally, and they will happily charge you for your funeral. But to to bring it back to wrestling, so... So, you know who they learned this from was McMahon himself. he, He keeps all of his wrestlers barely surviving because they're all contractors not employees oh, really? so they've been studying yeah so they've oh been God. studying mcmahon and his strategies and that's they were like what if we use the internet to make it work well, they're, they're, con- they're they're contractors they're contractors in name only right because their contracts their contracts prevent them from okay look you hire a plumber that plumber can stop working for my house and go work at someone else's. And wrestlers can't do that, especially under WWE. Like McMahon won't let them work for other promotions. So they have to work for WWE. So they're subject to whatever McMahon and his group has for them. So they may not even be doing their job. Like they might not be getting the push that would have them on TV. So they're not getting those TV bonuses. They're at the whim of their employer. So they're an employee, but McMahon has carefully and shittily prevented any of that amount of unionization or. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't there like a thing where they tried to unionize and they were sort of unanimously like fired? He fired the yeah the the most vocal proponent of it, and also they so they started doing this other. A lot of these people are stars. They have a fan base. They have a following. So they went to the other economy of like Twitch and YouTube and social media to make their own money separate from the the company to help you know supplement their income. And at one point or another, I haven't really kept up with it because it was such a it was such an offensive thing to read or hear about that I immediately shut down. I didn't want to participate. Yeah, yeah the, you blue screened. Yeah, I blue screened thinking about it. But what McMahon was trying to do was he was trying to get them these people to surrender the income that they were making on their platforms to the company. So we're contractors. You won't let us work with other people. And on top of that, the money that we're making off the back of our own charisma, our own uh, on ourselves, you want to take also? It's such a wild concept that if like my company were to be like, hey, you're, if you're making money on this podcast thing, we need all of it. And I'd be like, what? So you're so you're using the money that I'm making on in my private time, which I'm, by the way we're not making any money on this podcast. Yeah, just it's <laughs> it's, it's theoretical, theoretical yeah. money. You want to make you want to take the money that I'm making on the side to further minimize the cost that I represent to your business. 
Like, what? I By the mean, way, right. as a side note, just another another big thank you to our our nameless God King. The last episode of the podcast of which they named. I think. Speaking of capitalism, we're going to codify that any. <laughs> Any donation we get, you get it to name an episode of the podcast, and that comes with an early with early access to it. That's just something I'll plug out there. That's just there out there in the nexus. But yeah, wrestling is bullshit. Like all of it is bullshit. It's all terrible. But like that's the worst part is like capitalism is so insidious and consuming that it even took away the arts. It's so disheartening. They've commodified everything to the point where we can't express ourselves without a having to do it to survive or b having it taken away from us and sold by some capitalist or or if or if you want it do it yourself in the sense of in the sense of like things like patreon gofundme that we exist in a place where somebody might need to go to gofundme to to pay for their cancer treatment or in on the dark end of things or that somebody might want to go to patreon to fund like to pre-fund their project their artistic project because the standard routes of capitalism would not support it because it doesn't represent enough profit for enough people. It'll make good money for one person, but that's not why a Mark Cuban or a Kevin McLeary or whatever the fuck these assholes were on, on, on Shark Tank. Like it doesn't benefit if it doesn't benefit a massive amount of people as in two or three millionaires or a billionaire, it doesn't it has no value. In the late stage capitalism, in this particular stage of social media, the commodification of identity, it, it is so egregious because it's like, you know, you have people making themselves into a brand that they're supposed to sell to people because otherwise, you know, the, the common routes of capitalism either didn't fulfill them enough, I guess, or, or were not sustainable enough for them to stay there. And so like you have people trying to make commodities out of their identities and then at the end of it they say well this doesn't feel authentic and it's because capitalism won't ever like truly honor the multiplicities of a human experience like yeah because it doesn't sell no complexity Uh, does not sell yeah i was going to bring up the whole concept of like network effects right and on the age of the internet so we've talked about what we've talked about facebook we talked about uber eats we talked about like basically all different platforms where you're either selling something or either directly or indirectly. And a lot of these activities happen on fewer and fewer platforms now, because it's not like, you know, if you want delivery food, you would just used to just call the, you just call like the pizza place and like they'd have a delivery driver, but now you have all of these different platforms that because they're so big and like they exist because of the internet, right? The internet kind of gives you infinite scale because if you can just hire people who have their own cars and like you build, you spend, you know, millions of dollars making an app, but then you have this app and you can give it to everybody. And it's effectively like once it exists, it's effectively free other like you've got server costs or whatever, but like, that's not like actually owning an office and having people in it. Right. right. <laughs> that's yeah. not no, like, no. <laughs> you just have a money printer in the back at this point. Right. Right. So you're, because you're scaling to the point where you're actually like across the country, it's not like you're trying to run a business where you are competing on quality necessarily. Like the quality can't be certain, it can't be too low, but like what you're really trying to do is get scale. And so how do you get scale? 
And like, how do you, how do you take, basically, how do you take advantage of people? Well, you just cut corners wherever you can. This gets back to our conversation about Uber. Audrey, your point where like, you know, tipping, this is a little bit of a side tangent, but I feel like tipping itself is just a, a mark that like, if it's a, if it's a job where you're supposed to tip, that means that like something in that market is broken into the point where like those people are being taken advantage of yeah. 100%. Oh, I can see your point. Yeah. Where like non-workers are having to compensate those people for their salaries when it should be on the company to do so. And I will never bitch about tipping. I'm happy to tip. Yeah, well, no, I'm saying like tip, obviously. Like, yeah, tip no, please do. Yeah, 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 no, I got you there. I wasn't trying to be like, well, you know, he said I shouldn't tip anymore. So right, 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 that. right. No, no, it's not the individual tipping that I'm mad at. It's the whole like, oh, well, you know, this probably means that there's some shenanigans going on. But yeah, I guess my point is like the internet really gives platforms a way to take advantage of people at scale. Um, Definitely. Well, I actually, I actually want to talk more about tipping for a second. I, you know how like the free market capitalist argument is always talking about this mythical thing called competition. The, the idea that your business needs to survive because you can't afford your own labor costs means your business doesn't deserve to survive under the rules of capitalism, right? Precisely. Like I'm not missing that. No, no, you're not. So like that's always really personally annoyed me. Like I'm happy to tip. I like my servers very much or my delivery drivers, whoever they may be. But the point is, is like if your business is not viable, if you can't afford your labor, you shouldn't be in business. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also competing against all of these, maybe not in restaurants. Well, yeah, actually, but they're competing against all of these massively scaled, huge companies now. Like to a certain point, you have to take advantage. If you're running a company, you have to take advantage of all of these corners that you have to cut so that you can compete with an Amazon, right? Oh, I see your point. Yeah. But and, that actually goes to my point about it competition not being real. We right, live in, yeah. in a crushing, Amazon just crushes small businesses. That's what it does yeah. very effectively. And that's the other thing about network effects. I mean, eventually the biggest player in a space is going to, they're going to build up enough momentum, essentially. Like they're going to have already have the capital investments so that they can reduce their prices to the point where they drive everybody else out of business. And this is nothing new. I mean, like, you know, before the internet, like Walmart and it's all like a cyclical argument because when you try to say, you know, we should raise the minimum wage, the common cry is like, oh, what about the small businesses? It's like, well, if they can't afford to pay their workers, then they aren't viable businesses because that should be an expense that they took into account. Simultaneously, they will not be able to pay their workers because Amazon has eaten all of their traffic. Right. Yeah. I know. It's such a, and there again, capitalism is so insidious that even if you try to fight against it, it crushes any hope, you know, well, like. The other thing is that when everyone's making more money, they have more money to spend. So in theory, the small businesses start getting more sales. Right. But, making, but will they go to them? That's the issue. It's always a shell game with capitalism. You know, you, yes. you put out one fire somewhere else and it, it just pops up somewhere else. It's You're absolutely right. But very I but I do, I do completely agree about your point about like if everyone has more money to spend, therefore the economy does better. Like it just, it's a direct equation that pretty much everyone should know at this point. Yeah, because I mean, like you saw that when people were getting stimulus checks, was like right the economy the was point. bumped quite a bit because people had that money, and a lot of 
There, there were like a few articles that I read that were like, people aren't using it to spend money. They're using it to pay off credit card debt or pay monthly bills. And I was like, why are we talking about this as if it's a bad thing? First right, of like all, paying bills is the point of money, I thought. Well, <laughs> okay. I, I wish, I wish it wasn't. Okay, I see. Well, yeah. Modern, yeah, right now it is. But it's like. You you can't no, nothing can be right if you use it on frivolous things. You're not you're not investing it. You're not opening an LLC. You're not like right. right. I don't know saving it or putting it in the stock. It's always market. the poorest fault that they're poor. Absolutely, just try not being poor is kind of the common. <laughs> Have you tried not like every time I think of capitalism making these disparaging remarks about the poor, I always think of you know Isma in Emperor's New Groove, <laughs> where she's sitting on her throne and she looks down and she's like, "It's." No fault of mine if you did what did what was it again? Uh food. Ah! You should have thought of that before you became peasants. That was a pitch perfect fucking that was a pitch perfect impression of that well, peasant. <laughs> was fucking excellent. But yeah, it's well, exactly the, the same. That's I think of it every time. When it's like, you're right. It's like, are millennials killing X industry? It's like, no, we can't afford it. I mean, like in, in the classic way, like, yeah, I guess we are killing it, but it's maybe because you aren't paying us enough. Yeah. Have you considered raising our wages? Yeah. I always like, if we were going to personify capitalism as a person, this is a slight tangent. It would be Alec Baldwin's character in 30 Rock. Oh, yeah. yeah, That's a very good one. It would be Jack Donahue. Maybe. No, I don't think Ron Swanson is capitalist enough. Oh, this would be an interesting tangent to talk about how there's uh, also conservative critiques of capitalism as well. Who, Jack Donaghy or Ron Swanson? No, I just mean like, so like we're coming at this from very left point of view, but there's also like conservative, paleo-conservative. Uh, oh, yeah. Like the ca- rugged, of rugged, rugged man. Yeah. Well, just the idea that like, you know, capitalism erodes away values and such like that in the pursuit of profits. I mean, I'm not saying I subscribe to any of these theories, but like my time in politics has shown uh, it makes strange bedfellows, so to speak. Like I've. I've I've come to uh, vote on similar things with people who are politically very polar opposite of me, but we line up on certain things that we don't for you know for very different reasons we don't right. agree with. Because like yeah. they they're seeing it as a moralistic issue, right? Right, and also the idea of like fairness, like but capitalism has co-opted most of the mainstream Republican Party and most of the Democratic Party as well. You're right. Yeah, the, the whole other facet to it that I, I don't. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna crack open that door and I'm just gonna, <laughs> no, I'm not just walk gonna through. Leave it I'm behind. Not gonna walk. Yeah, it's just gonna be just like gonna let it sleep. Yeah. Let it, shh, shh. <laughs> yeah. As, and it's it's to me from my perspective, it is almost indicative that something is so deeply wrong with capitalism that the very people who typically would swear by or would abide by it happily are like, hey, no, wait, this is kind of fucked up. Everyone hates the, capitalism. Yeah. It's just not everyone knows that that's what they hate. Yeah. <laughs> not everyone hates it. I'm pretty sure the billionaires are happy. Yeah, but they aren't people. Aren't they? I think I mean, also part of it is, yeah, to Dane's point, and I think it would be, I'd be careful about like, oh, so it must, it's like indicative of like how bad the system is that people who would normally abide. But like, 
Yeah, that's true, but it's not enough of them. Yeah. The majority of them are being galvanized further into this thought process. True. It's a lot of the same it's a lot of the same mindset that allows for like QAnon or flat earth to exist and to propagate Oof. is that once you've somehow convinced these people to buy into something, they're less likely to buy out of it because it would be it would be it would be a representation of a fault they had made. So they're in that moment, in that micro decision, they either double down on the thing that they've modeled themselves after or made a like a massive part of their existence, or they have to admit that they were wrong. And that's difficult because it's difficult. They won't do it. I mean, not, nothing is more indicative of that than Trump, than him getting so much of the vote a second time. Once these people, and not this is not just on the right, this is people as a, this is humanity. Once they've bought into something, their willingness to backtrack on that is historically shown to be lacking, I'll say. So again, maybe it's cynical. Maybe I'm a cynic. I mean, I, I think I'm a cyn- I'm like an optimist wrapped, wrapped in a cynic. Like, I want to believe all of these positive things that like people will change or that they'll see the error of their ways or that they'll rally against something. And I think like wholly, they kind of do. Like if you look at micro situations or situations where people can effect change or can contribute to positivity, they, they do. The problem is that there's an equal number of people who are fine with a net loss. I mean, like a, like a, like a, like a zero sum or who beyond that, there are the things that are willing to make less than moral decisions are always going to subvert the moral and morality is like a flexible concept and deeply personal, but like they're willing to go to places that quote unquote good people are not. And if, if, if one side is not able to escalate, then the side that escalates wins. And we see that in like social issues this whole like being mad at rioters things like that's them escalating because the only way to effect change is to escalate it to this extreme. They're reacting to an oppressive system that has not listened to passivity or to common sense or to appeals to just what you would think would be decent human feelings. At this point, the only option left to us is to go nuclear But like when we look at politics or the economy, that option, we haven't gotten there yet. And maybe we will, right? Like maybe eventually like to the late stage capitalism will collapse in on itself as a function or as as or or like directly as a cause of people as a whole suffering enough to decide it's time. Like it's time to tear it all down. So hopefully, you know, hopefully what comes out of that is good. But some part of me fears that that capitalism as a nebulous concept or that the people who are in power have been learning from hundreds of years of these cycles and are they're like it's like a virus in and of itself where it's adjusting constantly. You know, like we used to see in France, there was like, what, no less than 10,000 revolutions in, in one summer. And now that type of energy in our country, a country built on a revolution but built on a like the myth of a revolution like it's it's real but it's like been mythol it's like been it's been mythologized it, yeah exactly yeah cuz it's really built on the back of slaves but we don't we are not even willing to re- revolt against ourselves that's the fucking big bad stick that we that we throw around when we talk about how great america is 
is that we spat in the face of of the of the king and we pushed back against an oppressive energy but we're not willing to do it now and nor seemingly are we ever willing to do it again because we are the big bad king now yeah i think that's like a key function of american imperialism which is a whole other topic that has to be fair everything to do with american capitalism but but not something we have room for this time around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it probably would need a, a good colonization and colonialism discussion on top of it. Yeah. And I mean, I think, we, I think with that, you know, we can, we can kind of wrap it up. I mean, we, we obviously could talk for hours about this. I just, I worry about our individual personal health, more specifically in brackets, my <laughs> willingness to participate has has selfishly been drained as I as I stare at my ceiling a single tear. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. Yeah, I think, but I think Dane does, and something Dane I think would support. As I would, I would make a plea. Like if you're listening and you have the ability to get engaged in local politics, you should. Oh yeah, because something else that I think about on a more broader macro spec like thing is that. You know, nothing matters. None of this stuff matters. And by virtue of that, we have this wonderful, terrible power to define and it be objectively true what matters. So if we can just change for the better the situations around us, or even it doesn't have to be politics, but if you can find something to care about that you think does better by you and by the people around you without the sacrifice or at the cost of others well-being i would really encourage everyone to try because that's super beautiful and all this other cynical stuff aside we have this gift that that we can define what's important and we can make a change and it doesn't have to kill capitalism with a golden arrow as long as we can leave the situation around us better than when we came into it with that said anybody else would like to say anything else please do Thank you for letting me on your podcast again. Always, Audrey. It's a pleasure. Yes, I was very excited to record with you. I had a very good time. Hell yeah. Thank you. I was very excited to record with you guys. Brent asked me, and I was like, absolutely. Please, please give me another platform for my bullshit. We're just scratching the surface of this big conversation, but I've certainly enjoyed it. Forrest? I don't have anything for the end of it. Uh, so also so also something that i would i would say is like you know audrey i hope that we will have you on again and it won't be hopefully it'll be pop culture <laughs> well it can't be yahoo answers anymore but if we want to go through the pornhub categories oh, uh God. We can do- <laughs> i was waiting for you, you know to what? jump yeah, in from the sidelines the whole time now that bit that bit died in my heart pretty Damn. Oh, well too bad one of them was had a single video and it was described porn whoa <laughs> I think very which, straightforward. Oh, interesting. Yeah, something interesting about about Pornhub at the very least is that it seems to be super. I don't know if it is or not. Look, I'm you know I'm, I only I only have so many minority statuses applied to me, but it seems very more so than I expected. An encompassing environment, like not a super terrible. Like I mean, obviously it's participating in all kinds of terrible things. I'm sure, but it uses terminology that I think is less fucked than it could be. Yeah. Now, <laughs> oh, wait, 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 now that we've no, talked no, about accessibility and porn. Yeah, no, no socials, right? Anybody, anybody socials? Oh God, no. Yeah, not after this episode. <laughs> yeah, we've Absolutely. made a lot of I lot of a, friends. Today. I have a corporate job. You think I'm going to give out my socials? So you can you can get you can reach us at popculturecake at gmail Send us your questions. We are on iTunes now. 
So Sweet. If you, if you happen to be listening to us on, on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, leave us a fucking review or something. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're officially on Apple? Yeah, we're officially on Apple. All right. I'll let my friend know because he, he's been holding out. So now he's wow. got no excuse. Oh, yeah. And just, you know, if you're for other people who don't use Apple things, but also don't use Spotify, just search for pop culture because most of these apps search an Apple's thing. So this isn't just like an Apple only. Yeah, like a podcast beyond or. A, yeah, yeah they're, be, they're like I aggregate to, services. I was, <laughs> I was about to subscribe on the service I use, but apparently I don't have a phone anymore. So what happened what? What to your phone? I don't know. It's probably just in the other room. Oh, I have I have 30 calls from work. Where oh. have you been? <laughs> Oh my god! We heard you. T- we heard you talking shit about capitalism. I literally, <laughs> I watched my work phone ring as we were talking. Oh uh, no! Uh, see, see, just like That's a how horror, they get you. horror film framing of your phone as it rings. Oh uh, yeah, no, it actually is. It's my boss calling to ask me why we aren't filling as many positions as the other people on our team. <gasps> I love capitalism. Vivian, if you're listening, you're very cool, but chill. You should edit it so that's right at the start. I love capitalism. <laughs> you should edit this podcast, yeah. Adam, to the to the extent that everything we say is pro-capitalism. Oh, oh my god. It's a 20-minute podcast. Yeah, it oh. just says, I love capitalism. Yeah. Anyway. It's going to be the audio version of a uh, ransom note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I guess on that note, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Cake. Yep. Bye-bye. That's all I know how to be. And to be yeah. fair, the last podcast I was on, I started off with a story about my Nazi great-grandfather. That was this podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think you mean the last episode. The last episode. Long. My bad. My no, bad. No, I mean, both episode. statements were um, right. And it is still true, you know? Yeah. I mean, the man's dead, but... Fuck that guy. That's all we can hope for, frankly. But, I mean, Nazis, so... Yeah. Probably not dead, actually, then. Yeah, probably in Argentina. Oh, my God. They're actually, I have no idea. My, like, grandfather cut off contact with him for all of the obvious reasons. When some was... of some not-so-obvious ones, right? <laughs> yeah, some of the not-so-obvious ones. Like, he ran away to Argentina and started a whole new family that I have no knowledge of. Wait, are you serious? No. Oh, shit. <laughs> that would be so fucking funny if I was completely ignorant to that. And then, by some fucking miracle, one of the people who listens to this podcast was like, wait a second. That sounds like my grandfather. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's, that's my grandfather. Actually, it would be more like, espero un momento. Eso es mi abuelo. Well, I don't know. Because a lot of Argentinians are just Germans. So it might sound more German than it did Spanish. Well, I don't. I, I only know the. I only know the one language. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna approach I, I, I a don't, uh, slightly don't offensive have... German. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the, the. If I give you, if I give you the German pass, if I, if I'm willing to dispense, nope, not a thing, not a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that Vader means father in German. That's all about all I got. Yeah. Right, hold on, be right back, guys. Like two seconds. Brent's gonna go commit a crime. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is it. <laughs> and when he comes um, back, we are gonna have to. Yes, call the cops. I would like to report a group of leftists currently meeting in a Zencaster forum. It's an Antifa meeting. You'll be- <laughs> they have cans of soup and a can-do attitude. Oh my Get god! Get it? Can do. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, he can do. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Cancel, cancel the podcast. Capitalism is <laughs> suffering. 
I mean, like, if this is a spicy take, if Rick and Morty had something that meaningful to say, I think I'd probably watch it. Ooh, that wow. is spicy. That's a that's a that's a pop culture tidbit right there. I mean, I think Rick and Morty fits the same kind of cultural niche as Star Wars. It's like an a accessible level of philosophy and moral conundrums that most people haven't had to actually consider before and they're like just like whoa this shit is deep yeah listen listen here audrey i i I don't give i don't give a shit if you watch my show all right audrey i i I don't give a fuck (laughs) oh geez rick she's just trying to contribute to society christ